electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the NASDAQ market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. A late-day sell-off, major indices breaking their four-day win streaks. Sliding in the back half of today's session, stocks closing off their lows of the day, but still posting their biggest losses in over a week. What sparked a direction change, and is it a sign of more pain ahead? Plus, bank on it, the financials kicking off Q3 earnings season into high gear starting tomorrow. What they could say about interest rates, the consumer, and what's in store for the markets for the rest of the year. And then later, Delta, attempted rally hitting some turbulence, engine trouble at Ford, and a literal fast mover, a name we rarely mention on the show. The story is behind three stocks today. I'm Sarah Eisen, in for Melissa Lee, coming to you live tonight from Studio B at the NASDAQ. On the desk tonight, we've got Team Seymour, Dan Nathan, Guy Adami, and our special guest trader tonight, Kristen Bitterly, head of investment at City Wealth, or Chris. Welcome to everyone. We're going to start with the late-day sell-off on Wall Street, the Dow falling as much as 300 50 points at its lows. The Nasdaq and the S&P 500 also down as much as 1.2%. The indices closing off their lows of the day, but all three still snapping a four-day win streak. The pullback colliding with that 30-year Treasury auction that showed weaker demand. The long-dated bond jumping back to nearly 4.9%. All of this as Wall Street was digesting the latest CPI data. Consumer prices rising 3.7% in September from a year ago, slightly more than the street estimate. Energy, used car vehicles prices falling, but it wasn't enough to offset the gains in things like food and shelter. So how should the market be digesting all of these data points? Guy, it looked like the market was going to be a little bit okay with the firmer CPI and then that 30-year auction. First of all, great to have you. Thank Second you. Of Always all, love being with you. No, guys. and it, we do as well. It's serendipitous. Good yes, word. Serendipitous. I, actually, I looked yeah. it up. Serendipitous. That you're nice. with us because, yeah. as I've said a hundred mm-hmm. times, in your because the dollar had a five-week jump today. Dollar had a huge move. Think we about the move in currency. That. Think about the move in the bond market. <laughs> Ten-year yields had a 19 basis point move today from low to high, which is remarkable in the context of everything that's taken place over the last week or so. That's the trade. Tim talks about this a lot. I still think yields are going higher. I think yields would be dramatically higher, but for what we've seen over the last week. So yields are telling you the story and the demand for our bonds. The market is demanding a higher yield to buy our debt. That is problematic. Yeah. Is it problematic, Tim? You're a little more, I don't know. Sanguine. Sanguine, Sanguine? if I may. Sanguine? Um, yeah, I, I mean, uh, maybe acquiescent to the market conditions I have, which are uh, leadership in the equity market continues to be coming from semiconductors who made a new relative all-time high against the S&P. Uh, and the Qs are close to that, or they actually yesterday they finished with that. But I, I hear everybody here, and, and an 18-point move on that auction was a, a sign that investors are demanding higher term premium. So you only get you get a pickup of eight of, of about 10 bips on the 10-year 
uh, 15 bips from 10s to 30s. And we're learning that that's not enough. The curve is steepening at the long end, term premium, risk premium. And I think that's something to think about. I think that core CPI was hotter than expected. We've had a week where, where Waller, Johnson, Jefferson, you had all kinds of folks from the Federal Reserve talking about, eh, we probably don't need to go. Uh, maybe the long end's doing our work for us. But that core showed uh, shelter uh, and core elements of inflation that are going to be sticky. Um, and it's really that duration of higher for longer. It's not about rate cuts anymore. And I think ultimately, I do think that's going to be bad for equities. But we had a 4% move in the S&P. Let's, let's, take, a, let's take a deep breath and understand that uh, markets are, are, are dealing with a lot of exogenous factors. And I think that's what today felt like. Yeah, we did see the probability for the next rate hike go up to, what, 40% from 30%. Yeah. So that was interpretation of the inflation report. What do you think? Of CPI, yeah. So I think CPI a little bit hotter than expected. But I think when you actually break down some of those numbers, if we look at core CPI, X shelter, you're looking at about 2%. It's the first time that it's averaged 2%. So with shelter and services, if we see a path to that actually coming down, you can see maybe 2.5% by the end of next year, not quite the 2% target that the Fed's looking for. But I think the price action today goes back to that 30-year auction. It was yeah. all about that 30-year auction. And this debate that we've had the whole month of September, who are the buyers of the 10-year and the 30-year? And there's pressure that rates could go higher there. Well, th we've had this debate all year, but it doesn't feel like we've had a lot of weak auctions. So, so there's been a lot of discussion yeah. about who's the buyer and is there too much supply coming due. But most of the auctions, especially the at the short end of the curve, have been gobbled up. What yeah. happened today? Yeah, I don't know, Jack, about auctions. I'll be very <laughs> honest with you. But bring it back to the stock market, I'll just say this. If you think about the things that like we value stocks on, right? And so if we've been really focused on inflation and we've been focused on rates, I mean, look what we had in the last week. You know, on Friday, we had a job, an unemployment report at 3.8%. Now we have a uh, CPI reading very near 3.8%, right? And if you think about all the conditions that should probably put a bid under oil and energy in general, going forward and the lack of visibility in and around that situation, I think inflationary inputs are going to be higher. And if you think going back to the stock market, I think a lot of corporates, I think this is what we're going to hear over the next few weeks in Q3 earnings season about Q4 guidance. It's going to be a lack of visibility. And you could say that now they have a mulligan, if you will. You know, we've kind of gotten our arms around this situation um, with Ukraine as that settled in. But the uncertainty what's going on in the Middle East um, is going to be here for a while. And so if you think about higher inflation, you think about rates higher for longer. I don't even have to say what guys think. I don't have to say that I think rates are going much higher. All they have to do is say, hang out around here. You just mentioned the dollar. So if I think about U.S. multinationals, right, and I think about the kind of inputs that, you know, and, and the stress that that puts on their earnings at a time where a consumer here in the U.S. might be getting strapped, I say to myself, the leadership that Tim speaks of, they have lots of exposure overseas. They have lots of exposure. Paul Tudor Jones is right, and we are in a recession in Q1, because if enterprise price demand for a lot of their services and products starts to wane as we get into the new year, then stocks trading, the S&P, I think per fact says, trading about 18 times or so, which is in line or a little bit above the 10-year average with rates here and all this uncertainty, they don't make any sense. Like, like that to me in this valuation range. So that's kind of my two cents there. Sorry about your auction thing. It's just not my jam. <laughs> well, he doesn't know about no, it. No, but her, she was dead. I mean, just to be clear, I mean, the, the, the market went down 120 basis you points. You never want to see a whole market move on a weak and auction. It was totally auction. Yeah. Chris is absolutely 
absolutely it's an right. seismic move. Why? In Wait. So the concern what, is now about deficits and debts, and and so now we're we're demanding more yes. more yield for yes. the safety I mean, that, of U.S. government debt. Yes, and and it comes upon a 75 basis point move up until that point. And I realized the last few days had been uh, had given back some ground. I I, I don't know that yields are going to go a whole lot higher in the short term. I think they're going to go higher longer term, and I do think uh, you know term premium is a big deal, and and I do think positively slope yield curves make a lot of sense. Can you just explain? Why term premium is a big deal? What sure. that means? It, it means that it, you're you're demanding more return from the U.S. government for investing longer right. with them mm-hmm. and it's committing to them. Yeah, and, and it, it used to be risk-free. And when money's free, you know, and we're talking about the U.S. government, folks. It's clearly the best credit in the world, and it and it will be um, in my lifetime. And and you know, I I still think that ultimately this is going to be an opportunity for investors to be locking in really attractive yields. This is what Chris does all day with her team. But I, you know. The market took back half of that intraday loss and I think had a chance to think about it. I think just to put it very simply, if you can get yields on the front end of the curve close to five and a half percent, two years north of five percent, who going back to this concept, who is the buyer? Where is the bid for the 10 year? We saw a bid for the 10 year based on on the attacks over the weekend. So it did function as that flight to quality in an extreme situation. But then quickly the market corrected and said, OK, if we get these high yields anywhere from like very short bills out to five years, I'm more comfortable hanging out there instead of this uncertainty around higher for longer and what that means for growth. And, that, and that's your point originally, which is as long as yields continue to mm-hmm. right, listen, step up, we've got we've got challenge for stock. A lot of people say, but the economy is solid. So that's one of the reasons yields. I mean, did you see jobless claims today? We didn't mention that. 209. There's very little signs job of markets on the fire. Job, market. job markets, job markets on fire. So that's tight. the counterpoint. If, if, if you've got a Goldilocks kind of situation where inflation comes right. down and the economy hangs in there, that's is good inflation for inflation really? I mean, it's, it's the yeah, rate of growth down. is slowing. But in, I mean, you ask people watching the show right now, they're saying, "What are you talking about, guy? Inflation is back in spades. We're paying more for things." And yes, in terms of rate of change, it's slowing. Prices are still going higher, though. They're just going higher slower. I mean, I'm not trying to be nuanced. That's the math. And in terms of the market, look, right now the market seems fine with all of this. At a certain point, the same way we're seeing home builders start to roll over on the back of higher yields, one has to wonder if the same thing could potentially happen in a broader market. What do you think when it comes to the the good soft landing story still boosting earnings (laughs) And the market, because that's what the bulls argue. I think earnings, especially when we look into uh, the expectations for next year, are way too rosy. So what is it, about 12% earnings growth that we see for 2024? If we're in higher for longer, that has to impact earnings. And so we still see earnings growth going into next year, but maybe more to the tune of 4 or 5%, not 12 And we have to be realistic about, you know, is it a full-blown recession or is it just simply a slowing economic growth backdrop? I think that slowing backdrop in terms of pressure on the consumer, given some of the inflationary concerns, if we start to see some breaks in employment, they just need to be modest. I think that's going to very quickly change the consumer behavior, flow through to earnings and, and the slowing economy narrative. Do you think, Dan, that the that the relationship between yields and tech is still well it's, it's that's a great that question kind of was not it, happening this morning it's a little broken so think about this in 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 late 2021 when the fed said to battle inflation or raise interest rates the first things hit were like high valuation stocks companies that did not have earnings um even some of the mega caps when they joined the party in early 2022 that's when the s p really started to turn lower because we know that that concentration of those top 10 names was 25 percent of the s p then it still is now the relative outperformance of late because we've had all of this volatility and other risk assets specifically in 
and yields, they've been the beneficiary, right? Right. Like the, that's the odd thing I think that you're talking about. Yep. But you know, listen, Apple, Microsoft, they make up 20% of the NDX and Nasdaq 100 or so. They're down more than the NDX is from its highs. So my concern, and I mentioned this the other night on the show, if there's any reason to sell those stocks, if correlations go back towards one, like we saw in a period in different periods in 2022, they're going to be the leadership on the downside too. And if you look under the hood, we've been talking about retail, we've been talking about industrials, we've been talking about now home builders down about 15% from their eyes. The list goes on and on and on about the subsectors within the S&P that are in correction territory. They're yeah. saying something other than, let's say, 10 or 15 mega cap tech stocks. But don't you think there's an element of the free cash flow generation of these companies as well? Because I think the narrative, not all tech is performing the same right now. And so when you look at the Magnificent Seven, I was one of those, those people who thought as well, this relationship between rates and technology. But I think there is an element of flight to quality from a cash flow perspective. And that's what we're seeing on even, you know, this well, week and days like this. Google, I mean, Google's outperformed them all. Um, and some of this, I think Google from a free cash flow perspective is, is right there. But I mean, Apple generates more at least aggregate free cash flow than any of them. And I, I, like, I think Apple's kind of stalled in the mud, but Dan makes a great point. And I, I think we should not lose sight that Many stocks in the S&P are near 50, are within 5 to 10% of 52-week lows. lows. I'm talking about the Hershey's, the McDonald's, um, a lot of the staples. The staples we're have been acting about, terribly. We're talking about a lot of uh, the dollar gens, the dollar trees, um, Target. So, you know, it's not as if there isn't a lot of carnage out there. Um, but, but there's no question what everybody's saying here. Equities aren't worth as much in a world where rates are higher. And the market just hasn't really uh, So what are the encouraging to signs into. to you? Just semiconductors? I'm sorry? So what are the encouraging signs to you? You said semis? Well, semis are being priced as growth, right? And semis are being priced that there is actually a mega cap uh, capex cycle um, that is coming through, and 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 that we're going to continue to see that. And that leadership, because of the technicals of the market and passive investing and all the things we've been following for the last ten years, I, it doesn't go on forever. I'm just telling you that I, you know, that's what I watch every day. And if it breaks down, then we should all be worried. Until it doesn't. It, it doesn't, and it goes higher. Well, for more on what these numbers could mean for the economy, the CPI numbers, and for the Fed, let's bring in Bank of America U.S. senior economist Aditya Bave. It's great to have you here at the NASDAQ. Do you think this changes anything for the Fed, the CPI report? Yeah, thanks for having me on. So our takeaway from the CPI report was, one, it's a reminder that the path back to 2% is going to be a difficult one, and two, Sticky services inflation means sticky policy rates. So we keep our forecast for one more hike. Don't have particularly strong conviction on whether that hike comes in November or December or possibly even later. But even if that hike doesn't get delivered, higher for longer. So it's going to be difficult for the Fed to cut rates as long as services don't go Longer than the market expects at this point? Quite possibly, yes. The markets are pricing about 75, 80 basis points of cuts next year. The Fed is telling us that they're only going to cut 50 basis points next year. So, but, and you expect another hike too, which is, I mean, the, the argument to that is we have seen this big sell-off in long-term bond yep. yields, and that hurts asset prices, it, it hurts the economy, it constrains capital, and that does the work, essentially, for the Fed. Absolutely. So this has been a very interesting few days, right, because there was a leaning from several Fed speakers that, look, maybe we can go, um, we, we can pause, maybe we can go on hold from now on because of financial tightening, and then you get the CPI number, and it makes you wonder, has the Fed really done enough to it? Do they need to do a little bit more? Long and variable lag effects, which theoretically we should just start to feel now. I'm surprised it didn't happen sooner, but 
Speak to that, because a historic amount of hikes in a historic short period of time. No, absolutely. That is a risk. And you see it, for example, in the sell-off in, in rates, a lot of that in real rates, a lot of that in term premium. That means financial tightening. And there is a risk here that housing, which is tracking the first quarterly increase since the first quarter of 2021, that could go into a double dip. And then if you look at the business side, business investment has outperformed this year, but there's a risk that that might not last as well, given where rates are right now and given what the senior loan officer survey is telling us about credit tightening. So, uh, but, so back to housing at DTA. So, and I, I'm reading in your notes, you think maybe the 80s is a better analogy based upon also the pace of inflation. What help us historians from uh, the 90s and beyond? Uh, what, what does that mean for the housing market? Um, if you think we're, this is an 80s backdrop, look, I, I think real estate's going a lot lower. And I just you can't you can't have free money and expect people who overpaid for houses. I mean, the math is pretty simple. Right. So it's not to the same scale. But if you think about what happened in the 80s, a lot of inflation an aggressive Fed response, a large increase in mortgage rates as a result of that. But then the other thing that was going on back then is that the largest cohort in the population back then, the baby boomers were coming of age and they were starting families and that kept a floor under home prices. So year on year, home prices actually never went negative. And this time around, it's the millennials rather than the baby boomers. But a similar story. And that's helped home prices hold up, even though residential investment and housing activity have been soft. How do you think about the supply-demand balance? Because that's something that I always find shocking is there's just not enough supply. And even when you look at the overarching numbers, we're still short about 4 to 5 million units. And so, yes, we have higher rates, which should... You would think that housing prices would come down. But given the supply-demand imbalance, it's tough. Right. So one of the ironies of what's happened is, one, we have higher rates, and two, a lot of households are locked into very low-rate fixed mortgages, right? So what's happened is that the lack of supply of existing homes has led to a little bit more construction on the new home side, and that's helped housing activity bounce just in the last few months. Aditi, great, great to have you here. Thank you very much for taking the questions on today's data. Final word, Dan. Yeah, listen, I go back to the stock market. I'm not an economist by any means. And everything he makes. You don't know Jack about the economy uh, or bonds. Well, no, what I know, are you? I know a little bit, but. Um, Jack what? Yeah. The, <laughs> sorry. The, the only thing I'll just say is like, think about the, the most economically sensitive groups in the stock market. I look at banks, how they've traded all year. Now home builders have just joined the party, right? The consumer sensitive ones, you know what I mean? Like we're talking, we just talked about retails, consumer staples. Is, like they're, they're kind of falling apart, you know what I mean? So the market reminds reminds me a great deal of Q4 2021, where every day on the show, and Sarah used to pop on every once in a while, and you'd say to me, why are you so negative? Look at the indices. They're making new highs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you did say that I to did, me I a did. few times. But I would say to you, look under the hood. Because the stuff, there was a lot of stuff that was already selling off, that were already in bear markets and, you know, coming into October, November before the Fed did their about face. So to me, I think we're in a similar period where there's a lot of masking of a lot of really bad activity, which could could suggest something different in 2024 than we become used to in 2023, which was, again, back to that buy the dip mentality. Look under the hood. Is that the lesson? Yeah. Wow. I know Jack about oh, metaphors are really yeah. Yeah. Do you like, like, like auto? You know about looking under the hood? Are you, yeah. you got any gearhead in you growing up? Were you good with like a <laughs> ranch under the hood? Like tank Guy, clearly, the Camaro. I mean, what was going on you know with what? that? You're saying that I mean, because you're trying to put a wedge between me and Sarah. I did not try. <laughs> I, don't, I don't see any wedge. I have going no problem with Camaros. Oh, well, then that's fine. I drove or a Camaro. Or mechanics, no. for that matter. Sarah, probably Camaro. All right, guys. Camaros. When we come back, a surprise move from the UAW. Speaking of cars, last night had shares of the automakers hitting the brakes, why the Ford plant they are targeting could 
mean a big hit to the company. We'll have details straight ahead. Plus, two words. Era's movie. Hmm. The pop star's Era's tour. Hitting the silver screens with huge expectations for opening weekend. How much she could pull in and how she'll be celebrating in the end zone. Hint, hint. Don't go anywhere. Fast money. Back in two. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. We in the industry do see it in certain parts of our, of our industry on the lower fare side of the business, but we're a very different carrier than those. You know, we got premium, which is continuing to drive the strength of the business. We've got international, which was gangbusters. That was Delta CEO Ed Bastian on Squawk Box this morning talking about what sets his company apart from the budget airlines. Delta saying profits rose nearly 60% in the third quarter, but forecast full year results at the lower end of estimates due to those rising fuel costs. Shares down over 2% today have been steadily losing altitude since late June. Hmm. So how can Delta get its wings back, Tim? Well, boy, there's a few puns so in there. There's a lot of great yeah, writers on this we show. Do a great job for you. Um, and uh, I think Delta really just needs to hold the line on discipline in terms of capacity and keeping costs in line. And I think the rest takes care of itself. Ed Bastian's done a great job here. He, he also he listens to his employees. He listens to his customers. And I think Delta's made some difficult adjustments at times when it seemed that it, you know the right choice for the business and the corporate culture was something else. But um, Delta should trade at a premium. It, it in fact, uh, relative to some of the big three, if you call it that, it does. It's got the best balance sheet of the bunch and their pricing power in the front of the bus and transcontinental and, and uh, uh, business travel is, is happening. So it's a frustrating time for airlines because they're trading correlated to oil prices. Um, I think they're the greatest trading stocks in the world. I'm long Delta. I think this is a time you should be adding, not selling. Yeah, he did do a mea culpa a little bit on the, on the changes in the right. rewards program. Right. People are right, very unhappy. See if they can pull that chart up again. 
Okay. Can we pull that chart up again? Correct. Sounds, sounds like Dan doesn't like the chart. No, no, this it's, is it's, why the stock market can be really stupid. Okay, so look at the stock broke out at 35, right? This was like in May, in June, and people were getting all geeked up about the summer season and this and that or whatever. And then where does it top out? Right about when everybody's done with their holiday, this and that, whatever. And now it's round trip the whole move, okay? And it's been cheap the whole way up, and it's cheap the whole way down. And you say this all the time, and you do trade them well. I mean, they are great trading stocks. Don't it's been marry a really them. tough place to be invested, though. Don't marry them. Don't marry them. Well, know. because doesn't it just depend on fuel prices? Well, did it, but look what crude, if they overlay, oh. I don't think they can do this, but if they overlaid crude, crude was ripping at some point in the summer, right? Like, I mean, for a lot what I'm saying the is they're kind of dumb. I, you know, it's, the market You can look at crude, stupid. but you could also look at the consumer spending patterns, too. Yeah. So to your point, yes, there's that seasonality in the summer, but if we take it back to the look CPI that. print that we got today, like, when you're looking at services and what people are spending on, they're trading down, too. They're not taking big vacations anymore. It's more about restaurants and, and kind of experience but not the big ticket items that are now kind of past us and through the system. It's but Taylor Swift tickets. I, I, I just <laughs> so. think that investors don't trust the airlines. And, and we've, had, we've had decades to not trust the airlines. Yeah. So the biggest issue and the reason that they, when they were re-rating in 2015 through 2018, it was because we believed in the capital discipline and we believed that, that they weren't you know, uh, adding to capacity, growing their routes, and then ending up with a bunch of empty planes and higher costs. That's the story of airlines. I think if they can show that they're actually running these things better, that's really the story. Everything else, yes, there's cyclicality in the airline business. We know that. But, but when their best cycle was, was moving higher, they weren't. Well, they still think there's a lot of pent-up demand from China, from the international markets that didn't fully open, from business that didn't fully come back. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Sticking with the transports, let's move to Ford. Shares hitting the brakes today as the UAW unexpectedly expanded its strike to the automaker's largest factory. The union telling 8,700 workers at Ford's Kentucky truck plant to stop down. That's where the company makes its heavy-duty F-Series pickup. It's also fun-size SUVs, Dan. This is painful for Ford, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, it seems like in Ford's response is that they've gone as far as they could. And, you know, again, I think that we should be focused on the fact that these could go much longer than we think, possibly. And, you know, at a time where we're focused on fiscal spending as it relates to the potential for a shutdown. And I mean, there's lots of things. And, and again, you could say last week when we were up or just the other day up, you know, 4 percent or this morning, I guess, up 4 percent from the recent lows that the market is climbing. What do you say, Guy? A don't, I don't, I've never said it in my okay, life. OK, <laughs> but so so we had all these headwinds here and the market's trading better into it, you know, and but I just see a lot of potential issues here and bring back these strikes to consumers. It's not good. Full size SUVs. I said fun size, but yeah. fun size SUVs fun. can be fun. Uh, Roberto Duran, you familiar with the boxer? No, no. Moss. No, no Moss. A great boxer, but they'll only remember one thing. One, well, no Moss. Yeah, no Moss. Why do I bring that yeah. up? Because at a certain point, can't people that have been long Ford for 30 years. No Moss are going to say no mas, and it's going to manifest <laughs> it. itself in terms of volume. And you're going to see a 350, 400 million share day when the stock trades was in the middle. Sugar Ray, was Sugar Ray That Leonard? was Sugar Ray Leonard. Yeah, you were, you were a big, the, the, the middleweight class. You remember that, Sarah? Was really, say, yes, I'm Sarah. all over was that. Stock. Sure. There, was, there was a bunch of great guys back then. So. Oh, really? Hmm. Well, Fredo Benitez. Sure. Yeah. More of a Hagler person. I'm more of a Hagler. Yes. Hagler. Stop Hagler. Listen to you. Hagler Hearns. I mean, that Hagler Hearns. No She's throwing She's some Hagler in there. Good for uh, her. <laughs> Someone told me to say that. A lot more to come here on Fast. Here's what's coming up next. Believe in biotech? Analysts giving Amgen a good prognosis. So could this stock be a shot in the arm for your portfolio? The Traders Debate, next. Plus, it's that time of the quarter. Bank earnings kicking off tomorrow. And our next guest says there could be some room to rally. 
the names he's watching ahead. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Wells Fargo getting more bullish on Amgen in our call of the day. Analyst Mohit Bansal raising his price target to $320 per share from $265, writing that the company's emerging pipeline gives him more confidence in the biotech long-term growth. Guy, you've been watching this name. Yeah, Steve Grasso, who's not here, has been talking about it as well. And Amgen, great pipeline, now seemingly getting into this world of Eli Lilly and Novo Nordisk. Good for them. But this 295 level, which we are fast approaching, was a prior high. We get through that. You've always been able to make a great case for Amgen valuation. Now you're going to start talking about it as a stock that has some momentum behind it. So keep that in mind as we get closer. I do think it goes through. Well, I brought up last night because the Horizon Therapeutics deal is closing. Mm -hmm. And that's the headline. And that's the headline that allows the analysts then to come out and say, I upgrade based upon the pipeline. And, and, uh, and I think there's a lot there. And I think there's a lot there on valuation. And, and it's, a, it's also, I, I do think investors are looking for those mega cap biotech or pharma names that certainly can be defensive in an environment where balance sheets might be stressed in other places. They're not here. Uh, and I think they're probably done on the acquisition side, which also means that there's less risk. There. Right. So the Horizon deal, they can boost their what, long-term earnings power. Absolutely. And then according to this analyst, it's not just the obesity pipeline, but some important cancer drugs as well. Yep. And, and they've, they've talked about the importance of oncology. They've talked about uh, like the, the, the obesity uh, multiple factor, what this means for where they should trade. I mean, I'm surprised it hasn't done anything for Pfizer, which I'm long. In fact, it seems to trade down every time these guys trade higher. But again, they have the oral therapy, which I think at some point will be a driver. Chris, how does the sector look to you? So I think overall, I mean, this sector has just been crushed this year. And you look at the earnings backdrop as well. It's Unless been down like 13%. Exactly. So there's been some idiosyncratic events. But overall, you kind of have healthcare more broadly and biotech suffering in the broader backdrop. And, you know, it's really interesting. It's the one sector that when you look at valuations of the U.S. versus the rest of the world, it is the one that's actually trading at a discount to yep. the rest of the world. So I think, like, looking at some of the M&A activity, looking at the, the bigger back drop. Could you see then some rally into 2024? I think absolutely. Well, also, if you're cautious on the economic outlook, it's usually it, a defensive, that defensive play. It's defensive growth, which is why people really like it for this type of environment. Yeah, not so much these days. When we come back, could banks be about to break out? Tomorrow kicks off the big season for the financial sector of earnings. Our next guest says there could be a bank bump in store. The name's best positioned for that jump. Plus, Putting the fast in fast money, shares of fast and all leading the S&P after reporting this morning or on the numbers that had investors piling in when fast money comes right back. Missed a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money podcast. We're back right after this.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks snapping a four-day win streak as investors digested the latest bond auction and some new inflation data. The Dow falling more than 170 points. S&P and Nasdaq both down six-tenths of a percent off the lows of the session. Shares of Birkenstock falling nearly 7% in the second day of trading, adding to its initial first-day drop. Stocks now trading around $37. That's down about 18% from its IPO price. And then shares of Dollar General jumping after hours. The company appointing former CEO Todd Vassos to step back into the role effective today. Dollar General also lowering its full year earnings outlook. Well, speaking of earnings, third quarter bank earnings kicking off tomorrow. J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo and PNC reporting before the bell. Our next guest says reserve building is more important for the group than earnings beats for this quarter, with investors still worried about credit quality and how banks would fare in a potential recession. Christopher Maranak is the director of research and a bank sector analyst at Janney Montgomery Scott. So you, so you expect banks to put aside more reserves for credit losses, Chris? I do, Sarah. I think that's the right thing for them to do this quarter, and I think it's a better part of valor to miss earnings estimates and build reserves uh, this period. What, what, is that is that good? Is that clarity for investors that want to that want to own these stocks for them to do that or not? Sure. Recognizing credit risk is exactly what banks have to do right now. I think the, the concern is that banks are not investable because of credit concerns and worse economic activity next year. So the solution and the vaccine, if you will, is building reserves, creating new confidence and reminding investors that banks are going to continue to lend and continue to take deposits as they move through these next couple of quarters. What about the, the, the banking business this quarter? We saw another quarter of higher interest rates, which, which should help on some profitability metrics, but there are clearly reasons to be cautious as well. Well, the uh, higher interest rates are a double-edged sword. On the one hand, deposit costs continue to reset higher, and that's squeezing margins. On the other, you have higher rates on loan yields, which will continue to remix and help margins stabilize probably in the first quarter of next year. Higher interest rates are actually very helpful for most banks. So we think new loans are going on the books at 8 to 8.5%, still very uh, materially better than the yields that were around 5 to 5.50 from last quarter. So that's going to help as we move forward. I think the challenge is that the Fed pause can't happen soon enough for deposit rates. So deposit costs will continue to go up again in the fourth, but we think it's going to stabilize sooner versus later as next year develops. Chris, it's Tim. Thanks for joining us. So you've talked about pricing in uh, and provisioning and the recession. And you know, let's let's presume that the market has done a decent job of calling a, a mild recession into banks right here. But then how about banks, money center banks trading at 50 percent uh, of a multiple of the S&P, which is extreme by any time, any measure, anywhere. Um, do you think that's warranted? And it, you know, it's hard to go out and buy banks. I agree. But that seems to be getting pretty compelling. I agree with you, and it's one of the reasons that I think the KRE and the other benchmarks can really rally uh, this next three to four weeks. There's no reason you can't get a 10% move or higher in these stocks. For one thing, I think the market multiple may actually come down, and the bank's relative can go up. I, I've lived my career where banks were hanging out at 75 to 85% relative multiples, to your point, Tim. Mm -hmm. So I think that's extremely possible. The question is timing. We still have to consider that credit gets worse as next year plays out. I just think the banks will reserve for it and that they have enough earnings and capital to get themselves through. Chris, J.P. Morgan is going to come out with a book value of basically $100, trading at basically $150. I can do the math. So they traded a premium to a lot of the other banks. But at a certain point, when some of these banks are trading 65 70% of book, 
How does that reconcile itself? I mean, I get they deserve a premium multiple, but does J.P. Morgan's come down or does City Bank of America Wells go up? I think it's more the latter that the pricing goes up for the others that are too inexpensive. JPM's a great franchise. They make a lot of money. They have a lot of confidence with investors that they'll be the leader throughout this cycle. The challenge is that the other stocks should not be ignored in favor of JPM. I think that you should do the opposite and actually bid them off. You know, book value may grow faster next year as the um, interest rate marks start to back away and actually come down. It'll be negative on the marks this quarter, but next year could be a whole different story. The Fed doesn't have to cut rates for the rate marks to actually start to help banks. We've got natural amortization, natural payoffs, and then any movement in uh, yields uh, downward and pricing getting stronger on the fixed income world, particularly in the residential mortgage-backed securities, could actually be a big lift for banks' book value. Is that why you like some of the regionals best? I'm looking at your note. looks like your best ideas. Fifth Third, for Citizens, New York Community, Sonovos. These have been the most pressured from higher rates and, and potential pressure on, on reserves coming out into money market funds. That's correct. And each of those companies have the ability and the leadership to actually work additional uh, both reserves higher, but also keep lending money. We think there's a market share movement away from certain banks to these regionals. I think the regionals have been completely ignored, and they should not be. Many banks are going to pick up share from each other as you move forward. In fact, I actually think the two big-to-fail banks may see deposit share leave as the next uh, year or two play out. All right, Chris, thank you for joining us with some of your predictions out of bank earnings from Jenny Montgomery Scott. Tim. Well, so back to Guy's point, Chris's point, J.P. Morgan, one and a half price to tangible book value, City, 0.5. Okay, I mean, it's it's trading as if they've got a Mexico business like they did years ago that's worth nothing. The city's been cheap before. It's been cheap before. Um, This is as cheap as it gets. And I think it's getting kind of silly. I think the 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 regional bank argument is one. um, What's the the discount put on the regionals is because we never thought money could leave that fast. We live in a world where capital flight and those dynamics um, look the the mark to market on on held to maturity securities is going to be even uglier this quarter than it was last quarter. I mean, think about what interest rates have done. Think about all the negative yields on those books. So uh, I think people are prepared for that. I think that's what they priced into them over the last couple of weeks. But I like City. I'm long City. Uh, so. By the way, that we might have a more a, a bigger catalyst tomorrow on City because Jane Frazier told me two weeks ago that she's going to announce, put numbers on her restructuring plan in this quarterly update. Potential job losses, how much they're looking to cut out of costs in terms of restructuring. I know I can't ask you about City, but I can ask you about the banks overall and how they're set up here for earnings. Yeah, I think what's going to happen in this earnings season is going to be a shift from macro conditions. So what's what's priced in? A lot is priced into the banks from a macro perspective. And I think the focus is going to be more on micro. It's going to be on net interest income. It's going to be on credit quality. And it's going to be on the capital base. And so there is where I think we can get some positive or negative surprises. We're also looking for, on the back of bank earnings, just the health of the consumer. You get so much data from those earnings reports in terms of whether it's delinquencies, whether it's deterioration of of the quality um, in terms of their loan book. So I think it's a good sign for the broader backdrop going into the end of the year as well. Yeah, or Jamie Dimon commentary just about the environment. Yeah, well, I think to your point, I mean, Jamie Dimon's kind of set the stage. Sentiment's really negative. The stocks have really massively underperformed. They are some of the cheapest in the entire market. So not a great press if you're more of a trader on, on the short side. But, you know, coming out of Q2 earnings into late July, I mean, these stocks had nice runs. You know, expectations were really low. If they do that again, I probably think that it sets up as a good 
I don't know, take profit, resell. I think they're going back to the lows from the March regional banking crisis. And, you know, again, there doesn't seem to be an incremental buyer of these stocks right here until there is more clarity about what the economic outlook looks like. I think. Remember when everyone said hi? We just need higher rates for the banks to rally. Just just get those. Moynihan used to say it. But but everybody that was the investor mantra. Why are banks underperforming? Because rates are too low. I will now that they're high. It's hurting. The trade, though, I think is more on the preferred side as opposed to the equity side. So when you're making a decision about the banks, looking at the yields that you can get in the preferred market, and given the capitalization of these banks, I think there's actually a really excellent place in portfolios for that exposure. All right. Great call. Don't, don't hear about preferred as an option very much <laughs> on the show. When we come back, fasten your seatbelts for this one. Shares of Fastenal bouncing higher today. We're going to bring the details and that trade next. Stick around. Much more Fast Money coming back in two minutes. Welcome back. This next one, putting the fast in fast money. Shares of industrial supply company Fastenal, ticker fast, F-A-S-T, topping the tape today. The company saying sales rose more than 2% in the quarter, posted better than expected operating margins as well. The stock hitting a 52-week high and leading the S&P. Dan, you flagged this name. Well, this is going back to that theme of sometimes the markets can be kind of stupid, right? So this stock's breaking out. We're talking about all these stocks that you've never heard of that are trading really poorly. Here's one that you might never heard of, which I think is kind of interesting just to the end markets that they sell into. And having, well, right? and, yeah, and having some pretty upbeat things to say. And the results were pretty good. They didn't give a whole heck of a lot of guidance, but they did say this. And I think this is interesting. Demand remains sluggish and weakness in manufacturing markets are intensifying. So like to me, that's a kind of interesting thing for a stock that's making 52 week highs that trades 30 times this year's earnings that are only expected to grow 5% on 5% revenue growth and only expected to grow mid to high single digits um, revenue and sales next year. So like it doesn't make any sense to me. I guess I'd most more focus on what they had to say about the visibility of their clients and the demand than what the stock is doing. I know that might sound counterintuitive, but again, earnings season is amazing because you get to get all these data points from all these different companies. It's a bit of a mosaic and then you can... Why did it go up? It was the best performer today in the S&P. Improving margin. Margins are part of it, I think. Yeah, they're controlling costs. Yeah, which I think the market is championing. But real quick, valuation's got to get in the way at some point. To Dan's point, 30 times earnings with mid-single digits revenue and EPS growth, something doesn't equate here. Well, they, they, they just had a third quarter beat. And so you know, they've reported numbers. Uh, their digital business seems to be overcoming some of these macro headwinds. And, and, and I, I think the, the customer dynamic and the relationships and the branch model is something that's really working for these guys. So I think you stay there. I like it. Yeah, I mean, it's like polar opposite here. On, what do you mean? On the, on these so we kind do of on this show. Yeah, yeah, no, it's good. Split them up. Split 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 up. Should we split them up? Does yeah. it mean anything for the rest of the industrials that are going to report in the coming weeks? I, I, look, I think the industrials have some of the same macro headwinds that these guys have. I think they have a dollar to worry about, your dollar. Um, I think My they dollar. have different businesses depending on, I mean, lumping them all together, industrials have really underperformed here. Let's be clear. And, and relative to the stuff that is performing and keeping markets higher, you look at you look at an equal weight S&P and it's now down three or four percent on the year. And, and that's where a lot of this stuff lives. So yep. I'm not not that encouraged. When we come back, lights, camera, Taylor, in your wildest dreams, you won't believe the amount of money Swift is pulling in from her era's tour movie launch. No teardrops on her guitar. That story next. Welcome back to Fast Money. Some major media storylines today, from a bullish call on Spotify to one Hollywood strike picketing on 
to Tay-Tay coming to a theater near you and to Arrowhead Stadium. Of course, she's going to go see the Chiefs game. Julia Borston joins us now for much more on this trifecta of media stories. Only one we really care about, though, right, Julia? Well, Sarah, there's a lot of news, and we are going to start off with Spotify because shares gained 1% after Morgan Stanley reiterated its overweight rating on the stock with a $190 price target, writing, quote, rising engagement levels and continued product innovation support further market share gains and pricing power. They did also mention Taylor Swift. Meanwhile, media stocks finished lower today after the Screen Actors Guild and Hollywood Studios suspended negotiations. Take a look. Warner Brothers Discovery down nearly 6%. Now, just today, Netflix co-CEO Ted Sarando saying that SAG after demands are, quote, a bridge too far. While the AMPTP says SAG is demanding a viewership bonus that would cost more than $800 million per year. SAG responding that the studios are overstating the cost of their proposal by 60%. And the Guild's chief negotiator tells us that it is the AMPTP that walked away from negotiations, despite SAG off after offering what they see as a compromise. Now, all of this comes as this weekend, the box office is expected to get a major boost from the debut of Taylor Swift's Eras Tour, the movie version with $100 million in global pre-sales at AMC, breaking its record for single-day ticket sales revenue. Um, so Swift will also be back at the Chiefs game tonight. So we're going to have to see if she draws the same 2 million additional viewers that she brought to the last Chiefs game that she attended. Well, Julia, thank you very much. Guy, I do have some news on that. Apparently Please. ESPN is reporting that Travis's right ankle is well enough for him to play tonight. Thank goodness gracious. Let me ask you Which a question. Which well for NFL First ratings of all, tonight, we got a little say. time. Yeah. When Sarah hosts, we play Taylor Swift and all the breaks. We do. Which is... Tay-Tay. At my request. Tay-Tay. At her and you're, but did you, but prior to this whole... Did you ever hear of Travis Kelsey? Be honest. Um, no, is the answer. <laughs> really? I, you know, Actually, I did, because I knew about the two brothers that oh, played in, in the Super Bowl. Yeah. I, I, and, and so the mother was very famous. Dude, from last how, do you, how are you feeling now? I'm, I'm, feeling, question, I'm not question Sarah's I ability no, to I'm be not fluent in, in second derivative pro football. So and but, neither of them on the Bengals, and I still it. knew. We're catering the two to, brothers. I mean, I, you know, I mean, that's a great maybe story. I'm a purist. Maybe it's just about the football game, Tim. I don't know what to tell you. Spotify real quick. Do you have a problem with Taylor Swift? No, oh, I love Taylor oh. Swift. She's a huge fan of Fast Money. She's watching now ahead of the game. <laughs> Spotify, it's about time they turn profitable. Morgan Stanley or KeyBank thinks they might do it early next year. That's a big change. So this price target is not out of the realm of possibility. Tim? I, you know, this is one where multiple, I think, in, in a handful of these names has gotten a whole lot better. Um, not really where I'm going with a marginal new dollar of investment. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a call, though, on profitability, right, as these companies have been mm -hmm. working to try to do that. What what kind of multiple is it at right now? Well, I mean, you know, they're unprofitable. They, they, they think they're going to be pro exactly. But, but they, uh, as a multiple of sales a couple yeah. times, and, and I think that's the thing. If they do become profitable, they st do start to improve their margins. And important to note, I mean, you know, Netflix has much higher margins, I think mid-30s versus their mid-20s. So, like, if they could ever get north of 30, this is a stock that could, you know, it could easily get to that 190, but it's going to take uh, – there's some well, work to chop. You, you are the ultimate, I think, Bron you, you like this stock here. Well, I like a lot of things that they've been doing, integrating podcasting and a whole host of other things. And I know they had to cut costs there, and I think that's been part of it. They kind of overextended themselves. So I, I, I think it's fine. Look at the way the stock's traded, too, over the last couple months. I mean, it's had a huge run-up in the yeah, last Yeah, but it's also months. really consolidated. we got to get out of here. All right, music. we got to go. That's the music thing. All right, yeah. final, final trades coming up next. <laughs> Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Chris. 
All right, cybersecurity, long-term trend, it's lagged behind technology, and just thinking of AI, geopolitics, we're, we're long here. Tim. Sarah, great to have you and your football Thank knowledge. You. Citibank, <laughs> it's too cheap. Dan. Yeah, QQQ uh, hit a resistance level as we sell here. Guy. Hey, was it Tay-Tay? Hey, okay. It's embarrassing. I'll be watching you tonight. After the report tomorrow morning. All right. Thank you for watching Fast Money. Thanks for having me, guys. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.